Hello and welcome. My name is Saptarshi Chatterjee and this podcast is called Brands That Inspire. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the impact that advertising and general brand communication has on society at large and uh, start really inquiring as to what we can do as brand creators and brand owners to create communication that is authentic and that is inspiring i want to start this episode by giving you a few quotes from a few of the papers that uh, i've been reading on this subject the first paper is called consuming rationally how marketing is exploiting our cognitive biases and what we can do about it uh, this was released in a publication called as swiss skeptics discussion papers volume 1 issue 3 written by marco kovic and natalie lysiu apologies if i'm not pronouncing it right so the first point that i highlighted from this paper goes as follows marketing efforts always have two dimensions an informational and a persuasive one informationally marketing can provide potential customers with neutral and relevant information about goods and services persuasion on the other hand refers to the desire of turning potential customers into actual customers both by convincing them that a certain good or service is worth the cost and that it is preferable to other comp- competing goods or services one key component of marketing is advertising advertising is a subset of marketing that is comprised of communication directly targeted at potential customers every day we are inundated with many different forms of advertising even though we tend to believe that advertising works on other people but not on us it's safe to assume that overall advertising does have some non negligible impact to some degree we might even appreciate advertising for its informational dimension for example when we as ourselves as consumers find ourselves as consumers in a decision making situation advertising can conceivably provide us with neutral and relevant information that we can use to optimize our decision making to a large degree however the goal of advertising is to exploit errors in our thinking not correct us and uh, you know i uh, just to uh is to share my thoughts on this point so it it really is important to to really think start thinking about how we have been persuaded by brands probably since the time we were born into thinking in a certain way into looking at life in a certain way into taking decisions in a certain way and uh, it impacts us because no matter which part of the world you are from what time it is that you're listening into you probably already have been uh, exposed to some form of advertising or brand communication by this time and uh, you know that's what it is primarily doing it is persuading us it's nudging us it's it's constantly there just sort of trying to direct us into thinking in a certain way starting the second point marketing affects us in more subtle probabilistic ways a given marketing effort is unlikely to deterministically persuade every single potential customer but it will increase the probability 
that a potential customer becomes an actual customer. Marketing in that sense is a nudging mechanism. Nudging is the idea that cognitive biases can be exploited through choice architecture. By changing certain aspects of a choice situation, people can be nudged into making the desired choice. Nudging is clearly a form of manipulation because people are steered towards an outcome that some external actors deem desirable. In the context of public policy, nudging is sometimes described as a libertarian form of paternalism, whereby some publicly desirable goal is achieved by means of choice architecture, but without forcing people to make some specific choice as well as without taking away choice options. And at, at this point, I just want to highlight that if everyone believes that they themselves are immune to advertising, but others are not, those beliefs cannot correspond to reality. So we are all, whether no matter what our profession is, and especially if we are brand creators and uh, we are brand owners and we feel that our advertising is something that we are ourselves immune to and other advertising is, is something that we ourselves are immune to. We can't be further from the truth because we are constantly being nudged. Uh, going to the next point from the paper, we are notoriously bad at handling information. One prominent error in how we deal with information is the anchoring bias. We tend to attach greater value to an initial piece of information than on subsequent pieces of information. The initial piece of information serves as a reference value by which we judge subsequent information, even though the initial piece of information might not be very robust or useful from an objective point of view. Marketing exploitations of anchoring are commonplace in many consumer decision-making process. For example, if you enter any kind of retail store, no matter the nature of the goods that, you, that are sold there, you are likely to encounter some items that are on sale. Typically, items that are on sale are made prominent by having their old price displayed with their new reduced price. This is done in order to elicit the anchoring effect. First, we are anchored to the old price and then the new reduced price almost automatically seems like a good deal to us because we relate it to the reference value, the old price. And, uh, you know, what I want to bring to the discussion right now is there's a relationship between a brand and a consumer. Whether or not that consumer is a customer of that brand or not. Like all of us, we are, we are consumers, we have to consume. And uh, now we are in a relationship, we are in an ongoing relationship and we would not accept any relationship, no matter how trivial that relationship is, if that relationship attempts to manipulate us actively. And uh, it's the same with the brand. Like this is something we simply don't accept and we simply don't like. And yet, over a very long period of time, brand owners and brand creators have continued to use and perfect these kinds of manipulations and it has become widely accepted as a normal. The next point from the paper is cognitive biases are baked into human cognition. There is no magical cognitive switch for making them disappear. But at the same time, 
we know that the prevalence of cognitive biases can be lowered by engaging in slower and deliberate thinking. Therefore, even though we are prone to cognitive biases by nature, it is possible to reduce the probability of falling prey to cognitive biases in a given inference. And, uh, and here is the thing, here are my thoughts on it, that people are being highly paid to research, understand and then exploit cognitive biases of human beings. And we become really good at it, especially with uh, the uh, proliferation of, of the internet and uh, social media and digital advertising. And I'm just wondering how inspiring it would be for brands to actively encourage and educate its customers to think rationally before they purchase. Like imagine a world where product companies or marketplaces like Amazon are actively supporting people to come back a day later to complete their purchase so as to reduce the tendency of impulse buying and thus prom promoting financial health and creating an environment for people to buy consciously. And, you know, one of the <coughs> questions that I want to answer with this, uh, with these series of podcasts is, do consumers react better and with higher loyalty to brands that genuinely care about them versus brands that are doing whatever they can for people to buy their products and services? Almost every single day of our lives, we act directly or indirectly as consumers. We have the potential to be rational consumers. But very often, we succumb to our cognitive biases. We do so not least because marketing is a little more than a collection of nudges intended to exploit our cognitive biases. As brand creators, these are my thoughts on it, as brand creators, we have an influence on how brands and consequently companies we work can turn out. Can every creative choice we offer also have a choice that actively supports the brand to shy away from exploiting our cognitive biases and instead empower the consumer in what will truly serve them? In some cases, what might truly serve the consumer is that, hey, listen, you don't want to buy it right now. If we embrace irrational consumer behavior, then consequently, purveyors of goods and services are being incentivized not to provide the highest quality of goods and services, but rather to deceive prospective customers as much as possible through nudging. And, you know, my point about this is that the marketing fraternity around the world, no matter the size of the company, has actively brought into that exploiting cognitive biases is okay. It's acceptable. It's the, it's the nature of the game. And we have become better and better and better. And right now we're in a place we are scarily effective at it. And we incentivizing people to act, to actively do this. And there are very few companies who are following an alternative to this. And one of the missions of this 
podcast series is to identify and probably and hopefully bring these brand creators and these brand owners to really talk about how are they creating a company and creating a successful brand without having to exploit our cognitive biases so the next paper is uh, called individualization information asymmetry and exploitation in the advertiser driven digital era by david j park florida international university the first point from this paper is the goal of advertising was to match consumption to production industries through advertising developed a number of scientific techniques to manipulate desires tastes purchases and consumption decisions the digital era significantly increased advertising and the use of data for sales purposes point number 2 it is clear that advertisers are accumulating significant profits during the digital era online advertising is expanding at rates that would make any wall street investor jealous and much of it is propelled by social media as technology software and algorithms advance the individualization of advertisements content and prices become more sophisticated and effective price customization grew from these developments and should be viewed as an extension of contemporary advertising capabilities advertising in the digital age is a form of elevated corporate surveillance well, what do i say about the last two points it is pretty self explanatory and uh, we are all at the effect of it no matter which part of the world you are and you are on the internet if you're listening to this and you are directly impacted by it and the question probably is what is the extent of the impact on on you and the society around you there's no doubt that you're impacted by it and uh, it just it does raise a lot of ethical questions which probably uh, was not relevant even a few years back and that is something that as creators as creative professionals as brand owners as marketers we really need to sit back and critically start thinking and having an industry wide dialogue because we are going into a path where it's going to really come back and become really big someday and uh, it's going to reach a tipping point because we are in the age of very extensive corporate surveillance and it's just growing so that's that's all that i have to say about it right now but really wanted uh, to give all of you some food for thought and i know that a lot of you and a lot of uh, people all around the world are starting to think really critically about this and it's really time that we start doing so the next point from the paper advertising and revenue increases are closely related to commercial surveillance new technology mixed with the complete commercialization of the internet has created a massive online and offline surveillance function for private commercial sales efforts the surveillance of online customers has rapidly become a, a growing business 
even while the world's leading technology companies fail to offer basic disclosures about privacy to their users. As of 2012, the average visit to a web page triggered 56 instances of data collections. And that number is likely to be significantly higher today. Significant sources of revenue come from marketing information about subscribers and customers to advertisers, who then decide how to advertise to these people and at what prices. It is important to note that these trends are happening without public input, participation or consent. A recent survey noted that 68% of respondents did not like individually targeted ads while another poll indicated respondents did not want to be tracked online. According to Turo, 62% of respondents thought it was illegal for online stores to charge different prices for various people at the same time of the day. In fact, evidence suggests when people realize that price discrimination is legal, they become angry at the businesses and the government for allowing this. They simply do not approve. And uh, price discrimination is, is extremely well known. So obviously airlines do it for the same seat, but they still have the time, uh, the time difference. And uh, we all know about, you know, ride hailing companies, cab ride hailing companies who uh, charge much elevated prices when they know that your battery is nearly down to zero because you have to get a cab before it completely gets drained. And uh, what the worrying thing is that it's become so widespread. There's a sense of resignation uh, and the sense of we don't know what to do about it anymore kind of acceptance to it. As brand creators, we can very well play the role of an ethical sounding board to brands that we work with. If all of us actively engage with our clients and have an ongoing dialogue of creating a brand that inspires rather than a brand that manipulates, we will not only have a net positive effect on society, but also create deep-seated loyalty and a sense of pride for the employees of the brand. And if you are in a design, a marketing, a sales role, uh, you really need to get that you're part of the problem, that I'm part of the problem. And it's not some evil corporation out there who is doing this. We are all feeding into it. And I just want to make, uh, I, I noted two more points from this paper. I'll just read it out to you. The next point is, in addition, many marketeers examine emotional states closely and target people monetary extraction when they are considered to be emotionally vulnerable, which is Monday mornings for women. Digital exploitation occurs through the collection and commodification of online user data by corporations like Google and Facebook, among others. The data is subsequently sold to advertisers or other businesses for profit. This means that the more users do online, the more revenue search engines and social media make as a result of this hidden system. In a sense, the basic strategy of the social media economy is to crowdsource value production to unpaid users. 
the user labor involved in establishing consumer data is not adequately compensated and is thus exploited. In this context, most profit-oriented social media such as Facebook and YouTube are almost entirely financed by advertising. Users seriously underestimate the economic value of the data they share with Google in exchange for accessing their services. In a sense, Google exploits user ignorance to turn profit. Uh, and you know what this reminds me of? So I'm from India and uh, we were colonized for, for quite, a, quite a long period of time along with many other countries in this world. And what was very prevalent during the time of colonization was that so you would uh, you would take raw material from India and you would take it back uh, you know for so the UK the United Kingdom is somebody who colonized us for a very long time so they would take it back and they would create a finished product and they would come and sell it to us at very uh, at a far elevated price they would sometimes even make it here and sell it back to us at a far elevated price and the profits would go to them and this is what it really reminds uh, this in the last two points that really reminds me of that especially the last point because what's really happening is that we as consumers we are giving our data for free and you should really read the paper to get a to get a quantum the economic quantum of the data that we are giving you know, what is the price on that and uh, we're not getting paid for it point number one point number two uh, that data is coming back to us and exploiting our cognitive biases when we are the most vulnerable for us to part with with our money and uh, it's it's and the point that I, that I will keep making throughout the podcast is we all know about it and we are allowing it the next paper is uh, called children in digital marketing rights risks and opportunities and uh, this paper was released by uh, unicef so the first point is a recent Ofcom study, for example, found that an increasing percentage of children aged 12 to 15 turn to Google for true and accurate information, but only a minority can correctly identify camouflaged forms of marketing such as native content and sponsored links. And uh, what this point really sort of highlights is that uh, so throughout history, mankind has found more and more innovative ways to to distort truth and uh, today we've come to a place where it has become extremely worryingly widespread it's it's all over the place and children why children adults all over the world for whom it is increasingly became, becoming difficult to distinguish advertising and uh, editorial content the next point the asymmetry of power between children and the digital marketing sector grounded in children still developing cognitive capabilities is exacerbated by these marketing methods if children's ability to critically engage with traditional broadcasting marketing techniques was limited by their inexperience innocence and immaturity their capacity to avoid the impact of stealth advertising techniques is arguably non-existent. 
Many children and their families are exposed to increasing levels of unregulated commercialization and marketing by toy and game manufacturers. Parents are pressured to purchase a growing number of products which may be harmful to their children's development or are antithetical to creative play. Global marketing can also serve to weaken children's participation in the traditional cultural and artistic life of their community. And this has been there. Uh, so marketing targeting parents, marketing putting an undue, actually actively teaching children to uh, put an undue amount of uh, pressure on their parents based on the marketing that they see, the advertisement they see, it was always there. But what has became, become worrying is the level of exposure of the number of the quantum of such advertisements and uh, their effectiveness. Because all this while, we have been learning about what works and what doesn't work. And we have been able to fine-tune our communication to an extremely worrying level. And this is where we need to really start thinking about our role and our responsibility in all of this. As engineers, if we build, build a bridge which breaks down 10 years later, those engineers or the engineering firm is held responsible. But there is, there is a shocking lack of responsibility when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales, when it comes to design. Probably the only regulatory bodies I know are stopping blatant lies. But we are not talking about blatant lies. We are talking about manipulation at, at, an, epidem at an epidemic scale. So next two points on this paper starts sort of addressing it to a certain extent. So let me go, go right to it. Generally speaking, brands and agencies have control over and thus are chiefly responsible for the type of product, brand or service sold to children the timing of advertising and the context in which the product is advertised. They also have the greatest choice over which form of digital advertising to use, whether to deploy influencers or location targeting, for example, and what platform their advertising will be served on. This is not to suggest that brands and advertisers have no responsibility over how their ad is displayed, its placement format and adjacency to other content. Not that publishers have no responsibility for the format and appeal of advertising displayed on their sites. All actors bear some responsibility for the impact of advertising, no matter their position in the value chain. But identifying areas of control assists in identifying where advertising actors can take particular responsibility for and steps towards improving child protection in the digital marketing value chain. One of the most, uh, a lot of worrying things, but one of the worrying things is that uh, as a creative professional, the manner in which and the way and uh, the platform, uh, what it is followed by, we have no control over it. And I do not know of, of any agency which has significant control over it. And yet it is time for us to start thinking. As digital marketers, it is time for us to start 
looking at what ads are we placing and how are we placing them and and what is the cost what is the impact we want to pay the societal cost the societal impact we want to pay for winning at all costs in the game of digital marketing and um, and at the risk of sounding like an activist um uh, you know till now I, i was probably sounding like an activist but the point is not to do away with all of it we cannot survive without companies we need products we need services for us to lead an effective life for us to go ahead as a civilization and what i'm what i really what i'm really drawn towards is is there an alternative world is there an alternative world where we can advertise we can have brand communication we can we can do marketing but without all of these tools of manipulation tools of exploiting cognitive biases tools of exploiting vulnerabilities emotional vulnerabilities and instead start looking at how can we create companies and organizations that are inspiring people that are actively managing and starting to to completely remove these kinds of uh dark methods of selling so as to speak and i just want to finish this part of the podcast with uh, with a quote from a professor uh, from the university of portsmouth in the united states the name of the professor is richard christie so he says ethical consideration questions of right and wrong are an inseparable part of real life marketing communication any part of an organization's marketing communication can send messages about its ethical stance either intentionally or otherwise organizations need to cultivate an active awareness of the ethical consequences of their marketing communications and this is where uh, i feel that all of us whether we are consumers whether we are brand creators whether we are ceos whether we are uh, brand owners whether we are people from the marketing or such backgrounds we need to really start thinking about how we are impacting the society at large through what we are doing and is there an alternative where we can still thrive as businesses and as organizations while doing ethical communication and this is where i really want to stress on to drive home this point you know all the things that i spoke about i want to stress on the relationship there is a relationship between an individual human being and a brand and there is an increasing body of research uh, which says that we humanize everything including the brands and the companies that uh, that we have a relationship with and uh, we know that they have certain characteristics and and it, it works as any other relationship uh, even if it's a relationship of an acquaintance but but this, the question still comes down to is that we are allowing one party of this relationship to exploit us to gaslight us and to do whatever it takes to manipulate us for their benefit and uh, this relationship is bound to break down and we are seeing that we are starting to see the pace at which fortune 500 companies are starting to die 
how it was 70 years back and how it is today. It's, it's a vastly different market because brands are primarily fighting for loyalty. They are on, they are on a, a infinite cycle to keep getting new customers while losing their existing ones. And the reason that they are losing their existing ones is that they are, they are exploiting them, they are manipulating them, and in any relationship, you're bound to find out that you're being exploited and manipulated and you will be exiting that relationship. No matter how important that relationship is for you, you're bound to find a, find an alternative. And if history has taught us anything, it has really taught us that no matter how big you are, you're bound to fail. And this this whole uh, this whole episode and the point of these podcasts is to is to really drive home the point that companies are actually losing more than gaining by employing these tactics because these tactics are short term. And there is a long-term impact of this. Forget the societal cost. Forget the emotional cost. Let's just start looking at that the economic cost that companies are paying by employing these methods. They're losing customers. Businesses are shutting down. No matter the kind of sales that they are doing. And one of the key reasons for that is the amount of resources, time, that is going in creating communication that is short, that is short-sighted, creating advertisement and distributing it through means that are short-sighted. And there are companies, and I'm sure that you know of at least one company that over a period of time, and when I say period of time, talking about three to four years that you're associated with them as a customer. And, and they have not exploited you. They have not manipulated you. And they are providing goods and services that are of real value to you. And the point of these podcasts is to get more and more of them to these podcasts and really start speaking and showing us the way as to how can we do that. And I do see a future where we would have more and more such companies and probably come to a point in our lifetime where there will be a majority of these companies versus the ones who are using short-sighted marketing and branding and design techniques to get their next customer. So I want to really leave you with that. I would love to hear from you. Uh, I am looking forward to interviewing brand owners and brand creators from companies who are inspiring each and every one of their stakeholders and ethically communicating. And I know that there are quite a few in this world and uh, going on a journey to start uh, getting in touch with them, start getting them for interviews on this show. And if you know of any, would love to hear from you and would love to get recommended. I hope you enjoyed it. Do share your thoughts. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Bye. You are listening to Brands that inspire by Saptarshi Chatterjee. Do follow this channel to get updates on the next episode. Thank you 